0: Amen. You may be seated. How are we doing, Mercy Road? Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. And we're going to do a standalone message today. Uh, When I was in the military, you know, they tend to move you around a lot. And the first two questions you tend to ask, where am I going and who's going to be in charge? Because, you know, you got to have some choice about where you're going, but ultimately the U.S. Army decided that. And then you really didn't get to choose who's in charge. you were under the authority of a commander, and so as a chaplain, I'd always get to know the commander and get a sense of what this particular tour will be like, this experience. Many of you have lived a very similar reality uh, as you've come through grade school and high school, maybe college or graduate school, Vocational school, as you've gone through different careers or jobs, you, you show up and, hey, where am I going? Oh, I guess that's the next step. And who's going to be in charge? Who's my teacher? Who's my boss? Who's my manager? Interesting questions, though, to ask in our current cultural moment where are we going and who's in charge? Because the truth is, from an earthly perspective, this is an anxiety. Producing question. Where are we going? Well Never in most of our lifetimes have we experienced anything like this a prolonged sense of I don't know I don't know when there's going to be a vaccine or when that will be effective or when people will take it or When culture will start to shift to some of the norms we enjoyed before Maybe it never will feel normal. I don't know where we're going because I can't really envision what my life will be like one year from today. Can you? No, you really can't. We don't know when it'll be normal, for example, to go to a Vikings game. (laughs) I had the opportunity to be at the Minnesota Miracle, remember that a few years ago? And, you know, my football fan friends hate when I bring this story up because I'm not much of a fan, but people after that touchdown We're hugging each other and crying and high-fiving and I was just thinking to myself, will that ever happen? Even with a a play like that, an incredible turnaround in a football game, are we going to be just very different? We don't know where we're going. We don't know what the rest of our lives will look like. On a political level, we don't know what policies will be put in place, do we? Because we don't really know who's in charge. President Biden is the president-elect according to the electoral votes, but there's all these recounts and legal ramifications, and we have some precedent for this. In 2000, uh, Bush and Gore um, took till December 12th, I believe it was, to figure out who was actually the president, and we don't fully know who's going to control the Senate, and there's some other races up in the air in the House, and so therefore. We don't know who's in charge politically, and we can't quite anticipate where we're going. And I have a lot of compassion for people who are not followers of Jesus Christ in this moment because, honestly, I'd be kind of terrified if I wasn't a believer, if I didn't really believe in my bones that God is in control, whatever the circumstances look like, because there's just so much uncertainty. And most of us, we're only used to little doses of uncertainty in our lifetime, usually at little transition points where, oh, I I need to find a new job, and I don't know where I'm going, and therefore I don't know who's going to be in charge, and that's scary, but then that job comes along, and that that dissipates, and now we're back into predictability, and, and for the first time, we're all collectively just experiencing this, we don't know. But that's from an earthly perspective. If you want to really think about it, we are citizens of heaven. We preached that a few weeks ago. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He, he said, yeah, you're American, but you're, you're more than that, and more importantly, a citizen of heaven. That's why you feel homesick spiritually. Why certain experiences, really good experiences, don't quite scratch the itch, do they? You're longing for a world that is not this one, a world that will be remade, a new heavens and a new earth, and so from the heavenly perspective the answer to the question where are we going is not I have no idea it's wherever the Lord leads me and he's a good and gracious and competent father so even though I don't know I can anticipate with actually a strange sense of joy even even amidst all this uncertainty Wherever he leads me, it's gonna be okay because he's the shepherd and he'll protect me, his sheep, whatever happens, even if it's painful. You know, um, if you're new to Mercy Road, you might not know this, but we plan sermon series out a year in advance and I actually write messages and outline series with a longtime friend of mine, Pastor Tom Bennett. He pastors a church in Orange County, California, Coast Bible Church, and uh, we met in seminary, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, and he's also a professor at Fuller now. He went on to get his doctorate, and so we're a good tag team, and uh, each October, I fly out. So a few weeks ago, I I flew to California, and we spend three days where we kind of break our brains just writing all this content together prayerfully, and Pastor Chad this year was able to join us over video conferencing, so we have three different pastors speaking into this, and really praying together and thinking through what makes sense, and it was a challenging year to write, right? Because there's so many unknowns in 2021, but if it's okay with you, I'm going to diverge a little bit from our traditional just going through scripture line by line, and I want to share a little preview of 2021 sermon series. Is that okay? Because think about it, this is going to comfort you a little bit because it's not like the government has a real clear plan, and Mercy Road knows that God is sovereign and things can change, but this is kind of tentatively where we're going to go. So next Sunday, we start a series called Unoffendable, based on a book by the same name. We all want to extend grace for ourselves, but isn't it true we struggle to extend it to other people? So how do we biblically navigate the emotions of anger and being constantly offended? The thesis of the, the series will basically say, Scripture is pretty clear. You don't have the right, you're not entitled to live a life that is chronically and constantly offended at everybody. It's not how God designed you. And so we're going to talk about things like righteous anger versus just addictive, destructive anger. And we're going to talk about humility and forgiveness and just try to become unoffendable people. And that will be timely, and that will be three weeks and that will lead us to an advent. Advent means the coming of Christ. So the advent series, anticipating Christmas. So starting in December, we're going to talk about Christmas comforts. And we're, we're basically taking 2020 as a case study saying, like, if there's ever been a year where some of the traditional comforts of Christmas are stripped away fully or in part, it's 2020. It affects gathering sizes. And there's, even when we gather, this fear and there's sometimes a mask or we can't hug, and the Christmas cookies don't taste the same if you don't get to hug, and and there's just a lot that gets in the way, but we're going to look at the actual biblical source of comfort in Christmas, the Savior, and we're going to look at different aspects of why Jesus comforts and how he comforts, and he's the sympathetic Savior. He gets what we're going through. He is the tender Savior, And he is the assuring Savior. And that will lead us up to a few Christmas Eve services. One will be indoors. One will be a drive-in service to accommodate different folks. And then in 2021, we're going to start the year off with a five-part series called Guardrails. North Point Church in Atlanta piloted this. And normally we write all of our own content. But this was a series I found so powerful. I preached it almost 10 years ago now at a previous church I served Uh, guardrails, of course, are those metal things on the road that keep you from doing maximum damage, keep you from driving off a cliff. And so we're looking to the book of Proverbs to set up different types of guardrails in our life, whether that be financial, uh, ethical, sexual, relational, with regard to the friend groups we hang out with, practices, disciplines we can put in our life in 2021 to make sure we don't blow up our marriage, because no one intends to do that. Just like no one intends to drive off a cliff. But what are the practices we can put in place so that we don't develop into the type of person that we would never want our children to become? No one intends to do that. And so guardrails will be a call to implementing some real practical disciplines. And then that'll bring us into a series, a five-part series on Jonah, The Secret of God's Mercy, We'll look at the hoarding of God's mercy. Jonah was a prophet that really didn't want to share that mercy of God with a certain group of people, and he had good reason. These group of people were really hard to love, and we struggle with that too sometimes. And then the mechanics of mercy and the cries of mercy, the miracle of mercy and the messenger of mercy. We'll walk through the five chapters of Jonah together. And in so doing, we'll see that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, and we'll see how God's grace really works. That'll bring us to a a three-part series called Honest Evangelism. We'll be looking at uh, the book of Acts, understanding the idols that were present in uh, chapter 17 at Mars Hill where Paul engages with philosophers about debating the real meaning of the universe. And this will be a practical series that will help us to become humble, winsome, uh, and capable sharers of our faith. And we're gonna challenge each other to write out our faith testimony. Have you ever done that? a very important thing to do. A lot of us really feel ill-equipped to share Jesus with others because we are ill-equipped. We've never really taken the time to sketch out, how has God worked in my life? A lot of us don't want to appear pushy, and so we're going to talk about how not to do that and how to invest in relationships and let God do the the heavy lifting. We don't need to manipulate anybody. Then we're going to have an Easter service, and we'll probably do some baptisms And then we're going to jump into a series called I Dare You Lessons in Biblical Courage because uncertainty requires great courage. Following Christ requires courage. So we'll take a different individual from scripture who showed a unique aspect of biblical courage each week, and we'll say, I dare you to dream big and ask big like Nehemiah. I dare you to be loyal even when it costs you, like Jonah. I dare you to believe God even when they laugh at you, like Noah. I dare you to let God work through your biggest limitations, like Ehud. A lot of people are like, Ehud, who's that? Well, that's a, that, that'll that be an odd sermon because it's about a guy who kills uh, another guy while the guy's sitting on the toilet, but... Uh, I don't want to give a plot spoiler, but uh, that's, that's where we're going, and, and we'll look at Barnabas and Daniel and the female slave in the book of Acts that, that Paul rescued out of slavery. And then we're going to do a, a, just a two-week series on God's peace and mental illness, talking about how do we destigmatize mental illness. Do you know that if you're a part of Mercy Road, it's okay to not be okay here? You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. And it's okay to talk about mental health and so we're going to have some Christian therapists here uh, and, and just destigmatize that. But we're also going to talk about the spiritual aspects of mental health. And we're going to try to be very um, intellectually honest and biblically accurate about how we address this important subject. And that'll lead us to the summer. We have a tradition here at Mercy Road of going through a book of the Bible for the entire summer. We did Philippians last summer, lessons from lockdown. This coming summer, we're, we're either going to do the book of Revelation, what could go wrong, or 1 John. And both of those books, I think, are relevant, but we're going we're gonna to let the Lord lead us on, on which one we'll go through in the summer. And that'll lead us to a short uh, one-week ser- sermon on fasting and prayer. This is a mystery for a lot of us. Fasting is actually feasting on God. It's a discipline. Um, and then we'll kick off a series on the, the life of David. There will be giants. Most of us think of uh, Goliath as the only giant that David fought but there's actually a lot more. We'll look for six weeks at how how David fought the the giant of honor, the tendency to want to defend his own honor versus defending God's honor. That's really what was going on with Goliath and the giant of jealousy and desperation and authority and intergenerational sin, and that will bring us to Halloween next year, and we we have a two-part series on the demonic. People have questions about spiritual warfare and the nature of that, and we're going to we're going to talk about that and, and really look at kind of the cultural idea of Halloween and, you know, it's fun and we're not canceling Halloween or anything like that, but we want to really understand that there is a spiritual battle going on and we'll, we'll talk about that. And then we'll finish that out in November of next year on a series on the preciousness, the pricelessness, and the potential of life at every stage and why, why life matters. Every life matters. Your life matters. Your parents might have looked at you as an accident or a oops or a mistake, but God doesn't. You're on purpose. So am I. So is every other life. That's why it needs to be defended and cherished. And so we'll talk about that. And maybe all of it will change. But here's the thing. The book of Proverbs is, is wonderful in reminding us, Proverbs 16, 9, that we make plans and then the Lord determines our steps. Most of us assume it's one or the other. I make my plans. And then God just blessed my plan. Bless my sermon series, God. I'm not changing it. Or we were of the mind of saying, I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm just going to sit here and God, you just have to move my arms and legs like a puppet and do things because life is too hard and I don't want to try because I'm afraid I'll fail. And Proverbs says, No, you go make the plans, make them diligently and prayerfully and wise and and then god if you're open to god being god and you not being god he gets to direct your steps which means anything and everything is up for grabs to be changed on this and that's how that's how we outline our messages and much of our programming flows from that it's written in community it's written in prayer and it's submitted to the authority of god shaping and changing it all because we don't know where exactly we're going, but we do know that the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit of the Triune God is leading us. So that would lead us to the second question. Where are we going? We we talked about that, but who's in charge? Who is in charge? We don't know who the president's going to be yet. We don't know who's in charge in a political sense completely. Um, But from a heavenly perspective, there's another fascinating proverb. You may have never heard Proverb 21, 1 through 2. Let me read it for you. The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. You may believe you are doing right, but the Lord judges your reasons. What an interesting metaphor. The Lord can control, he has the ability to control A king's mind, his thinking, his planning, how he feels about a certain people group, policies that he might choose to enact or not enact. He has the ability to influence and control any and every earthly king in a similar fashion to the way he shapes rivers, bodies of water. Now think about this for a minute. Rivers are forged over long periods of time through complex, multivariate processes. Sediment flows to the right, and it all bangs into the side of the bank, and it must feel very chaotic for the sediment, right? And the, and the flow of water, and it creates this S-curve. And then it goes to the opposite direction, and it, the same process happens on the left, and the right, and the left, and the right, and the left. Martin Luther has a funny quote. He said, all of human history is like a drunk man on a horse. He goes to the right, he goes to the left, he goes to the right. And so we see this kind of seemingly chaotic movement of a river, but if you ever get the chance to get in a helicopter, I I used to do this over Iraq all the time, and I, I always loved to see the Tigris and the Euphrates, to see the river from the aerial view, you can see the logic, the order in it. It looks illogical from the bank. Why is it snaking through things and it doesn't even look fully symmetrical and it seems crazy and yet, wow, I see how it it moves and it actually flourishes the land where the land touches the river and there's, there's some sort of craftsmanship to it and it lends itself to flow into the sea or a big body of water. It's almost like an art. And it's one far more complicated than anything we're capable of. Think of human history as a timeline like a river that God is shaping. And on the one hand, every individual choice that is made in human history is a variable in all of that and has consequences. And yet God is so in control and so sovereign, he's such a good river shaper that he's able to shape the flow of outcomes and time in human history itself. Now that proverb is helpful, but as we kind of come to a close here, I'd like to share a little more pointed example from the history of God's people. Isaiah 45 tells the story of Cyrus. God's people are brought in exile. They're they're basically kidnapped from their promised land. They're forced to adopt a new worldview and customs, and there's a remnant faithful group of God's people who endure even in that circumstance. And many, many years go by, and rulers are cruel to God's people. And then one of them rises up who should have been logically the most cruel. He was following that trajectory. His name is Cyrus, but for some reason he acts differently. And the prophet Isaiah speaking to Cyrus has this to say, this is what the Lord says to his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut I will go before you and I will level the mountains I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron I will give you hidden treasures riches stored in secret places he's speaking a dictator's language here you know hey I am able to do the very thing that you want more than anything Remove all the obstacles, make you famous, get you the riches, topple nations. That is well within my power. But then he says, so that you may know I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I mean, just pause there for a minute. Think of how crazy that must sound to a dictator who believes in a bunch of foreign gods, violent foreign gods, and and one of his subjugated little people groups, just a little clan of his minions that he kidnapped through his previous lineage, his predecessors kidnapped and brought here and gave a hard time of it. They, They have a little prophet that says, hey, This is what the one God who made everything has to say to you. (laughs) I'm in control. I'm driving. And the only reason you have any power is because I allow that. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. These are astounding words. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. Think about that. He's saying, I work through even evil kings for the long end game of this, so that people may know there is none other beside me. I form the light. And create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. He goes on, but you get the point. It's as if God is saying, I am the river shaper of all of human history. You get to make your choices, but I get to decide where the river ultimately goes and how it flows, because I'm sovereign. And for your little tiny moment on the river of time, yeah, You might have a fancy gold-laden raft, and you might put a little crown on your head, and you might boss other people around. But don't forget who the real river shaper is, Cyrus. And ironically, to the consternation and shock of all secular scholars, Cyrus lets these people go back and rebuild in Jerusalem, and he funds the whole thing. If you read secular historians, they just are at a loss. They're like, how did this madman dictator bump into this little prophet Isaiah, had a few chats, and now he's funding a subjugated people group. I mean, it's not like how Pharaoh worked. It's not like there were plagues and lightning and firstborn dying. He has no incentive to do this, and yet he does it, and history is chock full of these type of subtleties if you can learn to see the craftsmanship of the river shaper itself. Friends, we have a very small moment on the river but that river leads to eternity, and for anyone who trusts in the forgiving love of Jesus Christ, the ocean of eternity is the endgame of that river. And I guess, what, I, as, a, as one of your pastors, what I'd like to challenge you with and encourage you with is this. From a heavenly perspective, Christ is still on the throne, and whether you think Joe Biden is the Cyrus that should not be trusted, or whether you think Donald Trump is the Cyrus that should not be trusted, either of them could be the Cyrus that God says, you think you're driving, I'm driving. And we don't know how this river is going to flow, but the good news is we don't need to know. We just need to trust. Now, we still need to make plans and then let God direct our steps. But did you see the second part of the first proverb we read? Or the second proverb? It talked about the river shaping, yes. But then it says, you may believe you are doing right, but the Lord judges your reasons. So it's talking about, yeah, this is God's relationship with kings. He influences them. Pray for them. That's part of the way God influences kings, by the way. That's why we're supposed to pray for our leaders, whether we like them or not. But then the proverb pivots and it says, now back to you. Here's one thing you can do. You can believe the river shaper's in charge, but you can also think about the fact that you're in charge too. What you do, what you say, how you love or fail to love matters. You may believe you are doing right, but the Lord judges your reasons. You may think you know what's going on, but the Lord, if you listen to his still small voice, might just say, stop. Humble yourself. Take a breath. And in those moments of prayer and reflection, you might just realize underneath my opinion that is so strong is some pride or just a lot of fear or just a desire to control other people, or just an evil desire to be right and celebrate the fact that everyone else is wrong. Who's in charge? God is in charge. The river shaper's in charge, but to a smaller extent, you and I are in charge. And that is why we need to examine every motivation in our life and depend on him to change our plans, change our opinions, direct our steps, as God's word instructs it, as the Holy Spirit convicts it, as Christian community forges it. Where are we going? From an earthly perspective, no idea. From a heavenly perspective, we're going wherever God leads us. Who's in charge? From an earthly perspective, no idea. From a heavenly perspective, Christ is on the throne, no matter who is in the White House. I'd like to close uh, today by inviting Pastor Chad up. I just came from a prayer retreat uh, with our denomination. And uh, Chad just came from visiting his elderly mother, 11-hour drive both ways, so he had some good prayer time. And uh, we're both people who are really solidly convinced that life goes better when we spend more time in prayer. And so we'd like to pray uh, for you just for a moment and just lead us in a time of prayer. Chad, would you do that? I'd love to.
1: Will you please join me? Lord God, thank you for this reminder. We look at the world around us, and and sometimes in our flesh, fear comes, uncertainty pours. But we lift our eyes into the hills, and we remember where our hope comes from. Our hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, you are the river shaper. And and may we remember that as those who put our trust in you, may you lift our eyes. May you help us be humble, be light, be hope to those around us. Those who are looking to the left and right and and are fearful, Lord, may, may we give them strength and may our faith wash over them with the love and hope of Jesus. Lord, what a privilege to serve you. What a privilege to be your hands and feet in this season that you have placed us. May may we walk in ways and speak words that glorify you, that express the love and hope we have in you. Thank you, Lord. And we pray this in the precious, mighty, holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen.